You may be seated. Um, I know some of you are nervous right now. You're like, um, didn't you just do a sermon? Um, and am I going to be here for 30 more minutes? Don't worry. It's only like 29 minutes. Um, that's much shorter than that. Um, so today we're actually starting in a new series called Glory. And uh, over these next three weeks, we're going to be breaking apart um, the idea of what is glory? Um, what are we made for? It? How are we made for glory? How are we made to reflect it? What is the purpose of it? Where do we direct it? What all is it? Um, and the reason we're doing this is over the last two years, we've taken a statement and broken it down. We took two years, whether you know this or not, uh, to define what the church is. What's the purpose of it? Because it can be easy to lose it. Is church just something you show up for on Sunday morning? Is it something that we do? Is it a brand? Is it a, um, a list of instructions? What is church? And this um, idea as we read through scriptures and as we were looking back to see what Jesus' purpose for the church was, why, if he chose it to be uh, this incredible institution for him, his bride, he speaks of it, if this is his plan for the world, as we were digging into that, um, this concept of the, of the church was really revealed to us that we've been digging through. It says this, the church is people devoted to God in community on mission for God's glory. And so over the last two years, we've taken large chunks of time to dig in and look at what does it mean being devoted to God. And then we took a season to look at what does it mean to be in community with each other. Most recently, we looked at what does it mean to be on mission. And now we're in the section of for God's glory. What does it mean to be the church for God's glory? And so today we just start with this question of what is glory? And, and so we'll be spending these next couple of weeks talking about how uh, we do this. And um, I'm going to kind of start today with this definition. And then what's so great is Jim Keller is going to be joining us for the next two weeks to break it down into how do we live this out and what does it look like. But I realized when I started writing this a couple of things. One is it's a word that um, I throw around oftentimes, but I don't really uh, probably use it the right way. Um, it's a word that many of us uh, know it, but maybe can't fully define it because I tend to use it more in hyperbole as, a, uh, as an adjective of some sort like, when your AC came on for the first time this week, if it has yet, um, that was glorious, right? Um, maybe when you finally got the yard raked up and put away, oh, this is glorious to be back in order. Maybe when you're, if you have kids and they have a really great project, like, oh, that's so glorious. And uh, for me, maybe it was last night when the Gators won. Oh, that's so glorious, right? Um, I mean, we all have our things. Um, but those are just mere glimpses of glory. Though I think there are pieces of this. I think these are shadows. I think these are um, reminiscent of that. Even when you try to define love, oftentimes it becomes just a wisp of what love truly is. In the same way, when we use the word glory, a lot of times we're um, almost defining the shadow that it casts. If you have a chance to read it, um, C.S. Lewis had an incredible sermon called The Weight of Glory. If you Google C.S. Lewis, Weight of Glory, it's like the second hit down, or I can send it to you. And he does a great job of talking about these kind of shadows of what's there and this idea that they're pointing to something greater than they are. Because although I, we use that word glory, um, it's not fully what it is. It, it's a, this word that we use, but don't quite use it the right way. Because in the arena of faith, uh, the word takes on a meaning very different from other uses. And it's a word that I'm honestly not that familiar with. It's a word, um, if I'm honest, I, I read it a lot in scripture. I mean, even in, in just in those two Psalms, they use glory probably a dozen times. You read through the New Testament and the word glory, and oftentimes it's just one that is almost a placeholder for me, or it's just a word that's so big you can't get to it. But I think when we break it down a little bit today, it will be helpful. Uh, the glory of the Lord is something that exists, uh, regardless of whether or not we give him glory. Uh, like credit, it just exists. It is. Glory exists outside of what we do or credit to the Lord. And it's not a kind of glory that God has to win in the sense of victory. It just is. 
Um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, this is on the back of your bulletin that we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, as Jesus prepares his followers for his crucifixion, he prays a prayer. He prays first for God to be glorified, then for his followers. And then he goes on and says this. So in John chapter 17, uh, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, your phones, and your bulletin there, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 24. It's a really interesting passage, and we're just going to scrape the surface today. There's a lot in here. Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. He uses this word glory. He prays that God glorify his name. And here he says he's given his followers glory and that he wants them to see his glory but glory is also the brilliance of the sun. And it's also the power of the tree that was down in the yard next door. It's all of this. So what is meant by this word glory really is all of these different things. And it's used in so many different ways. Um, I think the theologian Herman Bavink who uh, defines it really well. And this has been super helpful for me to understand a bigger picture of what we're talking about in glory. He says this, the glory of the Lord is the splendor and brilliance that is inseparably associated with all of God's attributes and his self-revelation in nature and grace. The glorious form in which he everywhere appears to his creatures. This is helpful to me because here's what he's saying. While God has many attributes, he's love, mercy, grace, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, holiness. God's glory is not just one more of those attributes of God. It's the sum of all of God's attributes. The glory of the Lord is the sum total of everything that God is. Like the glory of the sun is the sum of its heat and light and mass together. And it's not just the sum of the attributes, but the degree to which his attributes are superior to all other attributes of the same name. Yes, the sun is radiant, but God's radiance is so glorious that by comparison, the sun is dark. Yes, a man can be wise and we are called to grow in wisdom. And it's one of the things that we're asked to do and that God bestows on us when we go to him for wisdom. But God's wisdom is so glorious that by comparison, man's wisdom is foolishness. It's everything about God, his goodness, his love, his mercy made manifest. It's God on display. Um, one of the Hebrew words for glory is kavad. It's this old ancient word. And when Hebrew scholars began translating the Hebrew Bible into Greek, what's now known as the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testaments, they had to pick a word roughly equivalent to kavad. And for this, they chose doxa. And, doxa. Um, and for those of you who have been around the church and maybe grew up, you may recognize the words doxology. And that word means words of praise. It's an old word. It's an ancient word. And these words of praise, this heaviness, this uh, idea of that. But this Hebrew word kavad that they started with, that they translated into doxa, it was originally a military term, meaning battle armaments. But eventually it took on the meaning of heavy. Kavad meant heavy. Um, much like a battle armament would be heavy, this word took on this meaning of heaviness. 
And it took on the meaning of something with immense weight, something of substance, something heavy, something significant, kavod, glory, doxa. And in this idea of significance, in this idea of weight, I would argue that we are all, uh, to one degree or another, seeking significance, are we not? Uh, in the choices we make and the lives we lead, uh, we're seeking to have weight among men. We're seeking to have our lives have meaning, to have weight, to have kavod. And if glory means weight, if glory means kavod, if it means this weight, if it means significance, then yes, we are certainly seeking glory. And we do all manner of good and bad things to pursue his glory. Because here's the thing, uh, glory is terribly practical. Uh, glory becomes an obedience issue. Do I give weight to my desires or God's desires for me? Do I center my life upon myself? Do I let the world sort of revolve around the orbit that is me? Uh, that is what the world would tell us oftentimes. That's where the society we live in, that if we just kind of figure it all out ourselves and if we pull ourselves by up our bootstraps, if we do it ourselves, this orbit becomes around us. But the problem is, is that orbit leads off track very quickly. Or do we put the weight upon someone else where it should come from? We are people seeking meaning, and we're going to find that meaning either from within or from without. We're either going to find it from inside and try to create a false positive center, or we're going to seek it with one who has the kavod, who has the weight, who actually is glory from God himself. Um, and the thing is, is that we, you and I, we, we desire glory for actually a good reason. Because um, at least in part, we were made for glory. You and I were crafted from the very beginning of time as God knit us together in our mother's womb, as God knew us, as God formed us, as he made us in his image to be his image bearers. When we go back to the very beginning, we spent a series talking about being made for this. Part of what we are made for was glory. It's written into the fabric of our being. It's not wrong to desire glory because we were made for it. Here are these scriptures, Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hebrews 1, 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There's a piece of us that was designed and created for glory down the line here. But here's the thing, how you achieve it matters. It actually matters because how you achieve it determines whether you get to keep it or whether it all fades away in the end. We are made for it, for this weight, for the significance. God has set this eternity into our hearts. We need to know that we matter to someone because there's a reason that in the end, if you continue reading on, the, the, the words of condemnation of the final judgment is uh, we sit before God himself, as we sit before glory and the radiance and the light and everything that is God, the words of judgment are, I never knew you. There's a reason the ultimate punishment is to be cast out of the presence of God, to be utterly insignificant, to not matter to anyone anymore. Isn't that interesting? That the last words is, I never knew you, you no longer matter. The significance, the kavod, the weight of our being is what we're created for, to have that same matteredness to God that we, God cares about us so much that when we're with him, that we would be able to take that on. And it's the thing that goes away if we don't know him. But we can do it the right way or we can do it the wrong way. We, you can absorb the glory. We can take it on ourselves. We can say, I did this. 
this is me and everything can point towards you. And it's so easy to do, right? Because uh, we do a lot of good things and so much it's easy to, to take, say, this is me, this is me. And we can absorb it and credit it to ourselves and continue to orient our lives to that false center. Or we have the opportunity to reflect glory. We can ascribe glory to the one who is glory. And that's what we'll be talking about in these coming weeks. Again, what do we do with glory if we're made for it, if God created us for it and he is glory, how do we then navigate that? What do we do with glory? Part of what we do in the midst of it is we're to approach glory. We're to approach God. God calls us to continue to grow closer to him. But here's the thing, approaching perfection, approaching holiness, that's, that's scary. To be able to approach the one who is perfect it exposes us. It exposes us for who we really are. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing if you're anything like me, when you take a good hard look at who you really are, it's not always who you want to be. And it's hard to take a hard look at that and to think about being so exposed in that light. I mean, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the glory of God killed people. That's how holy he was. Um, some of you may be like me that were scarred by Raiders of the Lost Ark and the face melting scene when the Ark opened. Uh, that may be your original view of glory as it was moved in the Ark and it could melt faces. Um, Scary. I remember seeing that at the drive-in. Um, there were still drive-ins then. I just dated myself. Um, but there were also stories in the Old Testament of when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, this place that was cut off to normal men, when he would approach the Holy, the glory, they would have to tie a rope around his ankle because if he had not prepared himself well, when he came face to face with God, he could be struck dead. And the next person couldn't go in to get him because they would also, and then you just have a pile of people. Uh, so they would have the rope so they could pull him out. The glory of God was so brilliant and so powerful that it was unapproachable, yet God desires us to grow closer and closer to him. Because here's the thing that's so incredible. Jesus on the cross is God's glory made manifest. Jesus, the God man, Jesus, the God with skin on Jesus, the person where we were most intimately able to know who God is and how he navigated this world, how much he cares for people, how he was holy and perfect in the midst of a world that tried to pull him. Otherwise, Jesus, who had all the power in the universe at his fingertips, still hung on a cross. And at that moment, the glory of God, the perfection, all of it was made approachable because before, this is one of those things that has rattled me for the last couple of years. Um, Jesus says that we are made at peace with God, that through the cross, we are made at peace. And oftentimes if you take some of these words, and you go with the opposite of that. What does that mean? That means that we are at war with God. We we're at odds with God. That's how far off we were before the cross, at war with the God of the universe, the God that loves us. Yet on the cross, peace was made. We're able to then approach him. All of God's power was married with all of his humility on the cross. He could have taken himself down. He didn't have to stay there. He had legions of angels to take care of this. Yet we see the beauty and the glory fully manifest on the cross, and it allows us to approach it. But for what purpose? Why then, if Jesus has made peace with us, why on the cross when he made glory so approachable, what purpose was that for? I would go back to John 17, the scripture we were looking at earlier. Hear this, I'd remind you in uh, verses 22 and 23, and you can follow along in your bulletin there. He says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Since the covenant was made with God's people way back in the early times, God set apart a people to be his showpiece to the world, not 
so they would be separate and not so that they would be cut off, but so that they would be such a shining light that they would reflect his glory so well that the nations around them would be drawn to God. The showpiece of the world, the covenant that was made was always a way to attract people to him so that they would be able to see who God truly was and that God actually wanted to be in relationship with them. And over and over and over again, we mess it up through the story of our time, but Jesus makes this covenant and through the church and says, no, the purpose of sharing this glory is to be in complete unity. And we're in a time in our world where unity is not a thing that is happening often around us. Yet he desires unity so much that the world would be able to look in and say, what is this shining light that is happening? How are they reflecting this glory so well and desire to be in this with us? Because the church is people devoted to God in community on mission for God's glory. And the thing is, that's you and me. We're the church. This is not the church. These lights and these walls and uh, the glorious AC. Um, this is not the church. It's you and I. It's our lives reflecting Jesus. It's our lives glowing closer and closer to him individually together. We're the church. We're the ones tasked with being this light and this reflection to the world around us. The glory that is him in his totality that he wants to share with us to credit to us. Over these next couple of weeks, uh, Jim Keller's going to be sharing with us, and he wanted me to make you a promise. He's going to answer, um, and God bless Jim, because he's their big questions. He says, if you come for the next two weeks, Jim promises to answer these questions. Are you ready? Here they are. Why am I here? Does my life really have a meaning beyond the basics of my physical existence? Do my actions really amount to anything? Is there a purpose for my life that is greater than just living for my own personal pleasure and enjoyment? How can I be truly happy? I'm glad Jim got those two weeks. Um, but I think the thing is, if we actually understand glory, and if we really take this time, and I would encourage you, if you're going to pick a couple of weeks, I know our lives are busy and it's hard to figure out and navigate it all, but if you were to have to say, I'm going to dig in for a couple of weeks, I think this series, if we take a real hard look at glory and understand that we were actually made for it and we're meant to share it and we're actually meant to reflect it and where does it go and how does it all work, I think this is one of those things that if we really understand it and take the time to understand it, it doesn't just change our thinking, though it will. It also changes our heart and our life. And then we do that on our own, and then we do it together, and this light reflects out to the world around us. I, I really believe that God has positioned us um, for something. I don't know what it is, but I know he's called us to be the church, you and I together. I know the reason I was hungry to be here today is not just because I have to be. It's because I wanted to be together with you because there's something happening in the midst of our community. God is doing this. He's preparing us. And, and I really believe this is one of those issues that if we understand well, um, our, our neighbors won't be the same. Our, our community won't be the same. God has big plans for us. And, and this is one of those issues we need to understand well to be able to be in a position to do that. So I'd encourage you to come back over these next couple of weeks as we dig further in the glory. But this morning, would you join me in prayer as we continue to worship? Um, God, we are a grateful people. We are grateful that we are here together this morning, uh, that we gather together uh, with and for you, Lord, that this morning that we have a chance uh, to see you more fully. God, as we seek to understand glory, as we seek to understand this um, concept that is you in totality, that is you um, embodied, Lord, that uh, as we grasp it, that we also have this sense that we're made for it and that we're meant to reflect it and that you want to share it with us. And, um, if we think about that, that is a, a weighty matter. That is something that is at once humbling and terrifying, 
God, but it is something that you have designed us for, and, and you have designed the church specifically for as people following you, that there is uh, a manner of this glory that you wish to shine through us and share with us and bring us more fully into, Lord. And I pray that you uh, would help us understand it more, God, that we would spend time with you, that we would know you more, Lord, that you've created us and tasked us with knowing you enough to recognize your voice in the wind and the waves as well as in the silence, Lord, that uh, to know your voice and to be able to follow it as a piece of this. But as we draw closer and closer uh, to your glory, as we are exposed, as we are known more by you, that our lives would be changed by you, God. And I pray that we would see this change, that our lives would look more like you and we would love more like you and we would serve more like you and we would be the church more fully, that your hope would be more fully manifest in this world that we live now so that the world that is coming when your full glory is shown will be different as well, God. We pray this this morning uh, in your son Jesus' name as we continue to worship you. Amen.